Oh my, how I have missed hearing you all sing. I've been in several different churches over the last couple of weeks on vacation and no one sings like you all. I've missed that. Well, if you would find Acts chapter 1 in your New Testament this morning, Acts chapter 1, and while you're finding your place there, a couple quick things I just feel I need to communicate and express to you all just some things that have been happening, some things that have been shifting and changing around here over the last couple of months and uh, from a staffing perspective. And as many of you know, we've, we've had several different holes that have been left and needs that have needed to be filled in certain different areas of our church. One of those being our college ministry, our young adult ministry, 18 through 25, 28, whatever it is, it, it fluctuates. It, you know, if you're 40, sometimes you feel like you're 18. But anyways, uh, Pastor Cedric led that ministry for many years, almost 10 years here at this church. And in the last couple of months, Tyler George has assumed uh, the responsibility of teaching and leading that area of, of our church, uh, as, well as, uh, he, as well as, you know, we've had a need in our children's ministry since uh, the middle of March. And we've been praying, we've been interviewing, we've been, we've been looking for a, a children's ministry leader, and, and we were really struggling. And it just seemed like we were, we were just having a really difficult time finding anyone that would fit into our vision for our church and theologically lined up with our church. We just really, it was, it was a struggle bus season for me. And I don't even want to talk about all the hours that I spent on the phone and interviewing and reading and I was challenged by, by a, a, another leader that I am affiliated with to, to rethink some things. And he asked me, he said, he said, what's happening right now in your children's ministry? And I said, a lot of really good things. And he's like, well, who's, who's leading that ministry right now? And I was like, well, Heidi Curie is her name. And he's like, I think you've got your person. And then God kind of confirmed that through a conversation with one of our trustees here at our church. And, and I was like, okay, all right, God. So I put it to prayer, had a conversation with Heidi because I'd never really asked her what she thought about it. And she said, I feel like God is leading me to take and run our children's ministry. And so Heidi Curie is our children's director. As you know, Heidi is not a stranger to our church. Dave, her husband, has been on our staff for over 15 years. And so they know our church, they know our people, and they believe in the vision. They believe in the purpose behind our church. We're also going to be hiring an assistant to work with her, and her name is Brandy Palmatier. She'll be helping host. Yeah, that was Jesse, her husband. You got to clarify those things. That's how rumors get started. That's Jesse, her husband. So... Um, and then, last but not least, we have in the building, after several months, Michael Dash, Pastor Michael Dash here in the front. So, he will be leading our student ministry in the days, weeks, and months to come. So we're excited about that. Well, this morning we're starting a, a brand new series, a three-week series that we're calling Something Greater. Now this is going to be one of those series, but this message specifically is going to be a message that is, you're going to probably, if you're a note taker, you're going to enjoy 
this message. If you're not a note taker, hang on, next week will be better. And so we're going to cover a ton of info today. It's kind of an introduction to this series. There's a lot of facts that we're going to look at, a lot of verses, a lot of phrases and things. So if you love to take notes, this is your sermon. Uh, but before we dive too deep, I want to talk about promises. The, the word promise can mean something different for each and every one of us in the room today. What does a promise mean to you. Depending on your life circumstances, you could have either happy or you could even have some painful memories attached to that word, a promise. So what we did is we sent a message out to our small group leaders and we polled them asking them, what is the most meaningful promise that someone has ever made to you and kept? And I think the, the most popular one was, was the wedding vows. When you're married and you say those vows to each other and you promise to, to be devoted to one another for your entire life. The wedding vows. I think everyone, everyone answered that. And, and, and many also references the promises that were made to us by God. The, the never failing promise keeper who we can always trust even when we don't believe we can trust him. But here's another one, and I thought this one was probably one of the best. Someone wrote, said, I had plans to propose to my, to my now wife, and the engagement ring was being sent via FedEx overnight from the Caribbean. The jewelry store promised that the ring would arrive on the day that I needed it. The ring arrived at four in the afternoon, and I proposed by 5.30. Promise was kept. <laughs> that, you should hug that guy. And that, that's like, that's one of those like a commercial that you may see on television. Like this is how we're going to sell our jewelry store. Like we're going to, we're the best jewelry store around because we keep our promises. We also asked, what's a promise that someone made to you but broke? And we got several different answers. And sadly, we got the opposite of wedding vows being kept. The opposite of wedding vows being broken. We also heard a secret crush shared to a friend, but then was told to the boy. Oddly enough, two people shared the same promise broken by a healthcare professional who promised to walk their loved one through a really tough journey only to leave that practice during crucial times. And one person wisely said, I have countless examples of people breaking promises to me, even my spouse. And even though it hurts, I allow people their humanness. People will always fail at keeping promises. That's why I only trust Jesus to keep them perfectly. That's the best answer. That's a really good answer. And thankfully, that answer right there is one that applies to each and every one of us this morning. That Jesus is the only one, the, the one we can always trust to keep his promises. And that's, that's a really great thing for us. Because he makes promises. He has promised us something amazing. He has promised us something or rather someone even better for us than he himself being with us. Now that's, that's a pretty high bar that none of us could say, but Jesus can clearly communicate that truth. And when it comes to this someone who is, who is, who is better for us day to day, that is the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, he is often, as Francis Chan has referred to or has written about, is often the forgotten part of the Trinity, the forgotten God. And, and I would recommend that book, by the way, if you're looking for good books to read. You're not going to agree with everything he says. We don't agree with everything anybody says. But this book, Forgotten God, was a, an eye-opening book for me as a pastor. So I'd recommend that book. For some, though, we just don't give enough attention or focus to the very vital part that the Holy Spirit plays in our hearts. And so before we jump into our, our main portion of the message this morning, I want to do a little history. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to see a significant moment here for the disciples in the early church, starting in verse 1. Luke is writing, and he says, in the first book, Luke, he wrote, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, this is that, that moment in time where Jesus has died and he has been buried in the tomb and he has risen from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. He has presented himself to the disciples. He has, he has, he has had that conversation with, with Thomas, who was doubting that he was really there. And he is sitting down for 40 days and he's teaching the disciples. He's communicating truth to the disciples. And this is also that moment in the storyline that we see in the, in the book of Corinthians where he appears to, to over 500 witnesses. So this is that, that moment in history right here in verses 1 through 3. And so verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is a significant moment in the storyline. This is a, a turning point for the disciples because something significant and really vital is about to take place in their lives. They had been trying to heal, they'd been trying to perform miracles, they'd been trying to do so many things and, and they, just, they just couldn't do it, but Jesus was going to unleash his power on them. A promise was made. We serve a God who is a promise keeper. He makes promises and then he keeps those promises. But why is the Holy Spirit or receiving the Holy Spirit such a great promise? Why do we need him? Why do you need the Holy Spirit? And how do we need him? And how do I need him? 
We have to remember that these disciples that we're reading about here in the New Testament, they actually walked with the breathing flesh and bone Jesus. But Jesus said that they needed something. They needed something more than they actually needed his physical presence. We see that in John 16. But before we go too far in discussing the why, we must ask the question of who. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a who. He's, he's not an it. He is mentioned over 250 times in the New Testament alone. And like many terms that we use regularly in our faith journey of, of following Christ, we, it, it's kind of like the word Trinity. We don't necessarily use those phrases a lot. The word Trinity is nowhere found in the Bible, but we do see the three parts of the Godhead popping up all over the place. And so when we study the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, it helps us label some things. Now, from this study comes this, this phrase or this word, pneumatology. Maybe you've heard that before. The Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma, and ology stands for study. That's how we get the doctrine or the study of the Holy Spirit. So as we look into pneumatology, into this doctrine, we can often run into some, some off-base thinking and just plain wrong teaching about the Holy Spirit. And one of the main ones that I want to address this morning is, is that the Holy Spirit is not just an influence. The Holy Spirit's not just a power, and he's a person. You'll hear that he's not a person, and he's, that, he's, and that, he's, that he's just an influence, that he's just, he's just whatever we feel. Well, the term and the phrase for pneuma and spirit here is always written in the masculine form. He has a, a form, and he is very personal. And he does personal things. It's not a, it's not a it. It's not an influence. It's a part. He is a, a person of the Trinity. Now, if you know Jesus... He is very involved in your life. And we're going to talk more about that later, but the Holy Spirit has attributes and characteristics. And so we're going to take some time to go over those, and we're going to cover as many of these as we can, so hang tight. This is the note-taker's moment to shine here this morning. But I, I believe that this information is going to be very vital to you as you continue to study who the Holy Spirit is and what He does in the life of a Christian. Now, you may know all of these things, so this could be a reminder. Maybe you could teach a lesson on this sometime. But the Holy Spirit possesses the attributes of God. The first one is he is eternal. The Holy Spirit has existed forever. Hebrews 9, 14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Holy Spirit has always existed. That's really hard to wrap your mind around, this idea that, that we serve, that we were created by the uncreated one. 
that God has always existed outside of time and space, there was God. Then next we see that he was omniscient. He was all-knowing. And I'm gonna read a lengthy section. You can just write this down. But in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 16, it says, these things, he had just listed a, a series of things. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So he's all-powerful. He's also omnipotent. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see this happen in, in Luke chapter 1, where the angel comes to Mary and he says, The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and it's the power of the Most High, and it will overshadow you, and therefore there will be a child that will be born to you, and you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also will conceive a son, because nothing is impossible with God. We also see that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. We read this earlier in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He's everywhere. He's always with us. And he's also holy. All three parts of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're set apart from this world. They, they are different. They, they look different than anything that we've ever seen, known, touched, or tasted. He is holy. He is truth. In 1 John 5, 6, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. In 1 John 4, we also see that, that there is another Spirit that is active in our world, a deceitful Spirit that that. that we need to test the spirits, that we're not to believe every spirit that is speaking. That we're to be on guard, we're to be, we're to be careful. That we are from God and whoever knows God listens to him. And whoever is not from God does not listen because the spirit is truth and the spirit is not error. And it's by this that we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. 
He is life. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit has, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He is wise. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? He is sovereign which means he has the right to rule and reign over your life. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 says, and all these, he, he just listed all these gifts. They are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Don't forget that truth, that he is sovereign over the gifts that he has given you. If you don't like the gifts that God has given you, take it up with him. But he has gifted you a specific way to do a specific thing, to be about his work in your world. It is he who empowers you and gives you the gifts that you have. But also, we see that the Spirit has a mind. He thinks. In Romans 8, 27, it says, And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. He has a mind. He is knowledgeable. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He has a will, as we just read about in 1 Corinthians 12. And the Holy Spirit speaks. In Acts 28, 25, they were having a disagreement. A bunch of Christians were getting together, arguing and stuff. And they departed after Paul had made one statement. And the Holy Spirit, he said, was right in saying to your fathers, through the Isaiah prophet, that the Holy Spirit had already been speaking to the prophets. Now this one, this one here can get Christians in a lot of trouble. This one can get pastors in a lot of trouble. This idea that the Spirit speaks, but he does. Now, I have, I have never heard the Spirit of God in an audible voice, but I will never say that he doesn't. I will never say that because it's not biblical. It is the Spirit of God, and he can do whatever he wants to do. He can say whatever he wants to say in whatever ways he wants to say. I know a pastor, or I read of a pastor who said that he heard God audibly speak to him to marry his, his, his now wife, to plant churches, and train leaders. I'm not gonna say that God didn't tell him to do that. I will say this though, that you can't demand it that you can't expect it or even rely on it happening. But the Bible doesn't say that it isn't possible. Now that makes a lot of church members and pastors uncomfortable to say. Well, what do you do about all the things that people will say that God told them to say? <laughs> you test it to truth. Because the Spirit says that He is truth. And so the Spirit of God is never going to ask you to do something that contradicts His Word. It's just, it's impossible. It doesn't align with His character. The Holy Spirit of God is never going to encourage you, teenagers, to date someone that is not a, a follower of Christ. He just won't do it because it contradicts what He says in Hebrews. There's so many things that we could list there. 
The Holy Spirit told me to do this. He told me to do that. Well, what do the scriptures say? Now, I will say this. He has and he does speak to my heart all the time. And so he's always speaking. That's what he says about himself. But the Holy Spirit is also sensitive. Christians can can cause the Holy Spirit grief. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He can be He can be grieved. He's sensitive. You can also lie to him. We see this in Acts chapter 5 with with Ananias. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? We know that story all so well. They thought they could hide. They thought they could lie to the Spirit. And him not know, but he knows. The spirit can also be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the spirit. This means to to stifle or to suppress the spirit's work. He can be ignored and he can be held back in your life. You can actually say no to what the Holy Spirit of God may be prompting and directing you to do. I know people who have done that. The Holy Spirit was leading someone to do something specifically and they said no. He can be resisted. He can be quenched. He can be resisted by those who are far from God. Lost people can resist the gospel. In Acts 7, it says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. We can resist the Spirit, as it leads us to the saving truth of the gospel. So those are just some of the things that the Holy Spirit is and does. Now, the other question is this. We have a lot of new Christians in the room this morning, and maybe you, you don't know some of these things, but when does someone receive the Holy Spirit? How do you, how do you get him? Well, it was prophesied about in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. He said, I will pour out, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. But more specifically in John 3, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, for the Christian, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment that we believe. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. This is why we believe in eternal security. The Holy Spirit doesn't take up residence in you and then walk away whenever you do something wrong. He's always with you. That's why you feel things. We call it conviction in the church world. That's why when you you sin and you grieve the Spirit of God, that's why you feel something. That's why you you feel remorse and shame because the Spirit of God is holy. 
You see, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit moves in. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning and you're sitting here, that may freak you out. (laughs) And it should. Honestly, it should. But that's what happens. Every true believer in the room this morning has the Spirit. You have the Spirit right now. You have the same Spirit that some of the, 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 the heroes of the faith had. Just because you don't do miracles or you don't have this crazy story attached to your faith doesn't mean that you have less of the Spirit than someone who has a crazy story. You see, Jesus knew the disciples would need something more, something greater, if I could use that word. And the same goes for us. In John 16, here's what Jesus says to the disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. I think you should just underline that verse, that word. It is to your advantage that I, what? Go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He was letting them know that he was gonna say so much more to them in the future, but they couldn't bear it in this moment. But when the spirit of truth comes, this is the part that makes you wanna get excited. If we were Pentecostals, we might wave hankies or something here. (laughs) But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is a promise. That is a promise that you can invest in. You see, the promise we receive is the promise God knew we'd need. But how is he, the Holy Spirit, helpful and why is he necessary? We just read all of them. This promised helper, he is for you. It is a promise that God made through Jesus to his people. He makes promises and he keeps them and he promises us things that are for our good and our benefit. God saw our need and he initiated an action plan to give us what was required to meet that need. And he promised to fulfill it and he did. God set things in motion to provide us what we need as he does for us even in this very moment. You see, the promise we receive is the promise God knew we'd need. So the question is this, how are you using this promise? And if you're not, what will you do with the promise? 
Do you recognize this morning that you need, do you recognize the need that you have for the Spirit's work in your heart? We're going to talk a lot about that over the next couple of weeks, about his, his work in our lives. But God has not changed. The same God who declared this promise in, in John 16, through, literally throughout all 66 books of our Bibles, he is still keeping promises. He is still dependable. You can still count on him. You can be sure that when you read a promise from him in his word, he is going to keep the promise. What are some promises that he makes to us specifically? He promises that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He promises that he is going to supply all of our needs. He promises that his grace is enough. I know it's easy for me to say in this moment of time, but he's there when you're hurting. He's there when you're grieving and when you're lonely and when you're just in the deepest, darkest place in your life, the Holy Spirit is there and he's with you and he can be counted on. I went through the darkest season in my entire life in 2020. And that Psalm 139 brought me the greatest comfort. Because no matter what, all of my, I had friends that betrayed me, but the Spirit of God never left me. The God who loved me deeply, he stayed with me. And he walked through that deep, dark season of mire that I was in. And he loved me. Listen, those are promises he will never fail. He will always keep his word. And we can stand firm on those promises that we will never be on a more solid foundation than when we're living under the power of the Spirit. So trust him. Even when you can't see the other side, trust him. And if God has said it, he will do it. And God never breaks a promise. The promise we receive is the promise God knew we'd need. What else does he do? We well, have to come back next week for part two of something greater. I want to encourage you to be grabbing a bulletin each and every Sunday. In it is our printed prayer list. We want to encourage you to be praying for our church body each and every week. Many of you know we've been praying for Julie Feliciano for several, several weeks, even months now. She's been battling cancer. She is, she is really having a difficult time right now with some stomach pain, vomiting some things. So be, those of you who are signed up for our emergency prayer texts, I would encourage you to do that. If you're not in that prayer text thread, you can do that through mywhbc.com and you can get those, those emergency prayer needs. We want to encourage you to do that. So you'll be able to pray for those things in real time. So be praying for Julie Feliciano and the others that are listed there on the prayer list. And don't forget to continue to be faithful to the things that God is calling us to do. Be involved in ministry, be involved in serving and giving and loving your neighbor as yourself. Let me pray for you and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful this morning for 
who you are and what you've done. We're thankful this morning for the promised Holy Spirit. That you are always with us and you will never leave us or forsake us. This is a promise that we can count on. Oh God, how we need more of you. So God, we have your spirit. Help us to walk in it, live in the shadow of it, and allow him to be our guide. Lord, we're so thankful for who you are. We're thankful for Jesus Christ who came. He lived that life that we couldn't live. He lived a sinless life and he paid the price for our sin and he offers us hope today. And it's in that name, the name of Jesus, that we pray, amen.